So far, 2023 has definitely been the year of AI. What's disinformation? What's authentic? What's synthetic? You know, these are the potential existential questions that need to be addressed. But is it a storm in a teacup? Or is it here to stay? It is something that everybody needs to debate because of the profound impacts on society. This week, for our final episode of this season, I'm speaking with Nina Sheik. She's a generative AI expert, and we're going to look backwards and forwards at this age of AI. Welcome back to Playing With Reality with me, Menno van Dorn, a podcast from Society, the home for technology talent. So, of course, as always, Tia Niklic, my co-host and one of our social experts, is here with me today. But Tia, did you know that this is the final episode of this season? And I would like to ask you, how does that feel? Hey, Menno. Yes, I'm aware it's the final episode of the season. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been great. Compliments to you as the co-host. So it's kind of like bittersweet I really strongly believe that we're going to have more because there's so much going on and I'm sure you're already aware of that. Yeah, kudos for you too, Tia. But what do you mean? So much going on? Something on your mind? Yes, uh, definitely. There's something on my mind. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that the godfather of AI, Jeffrey Hinton, has quit Google recently. Yeah. There's a lot of different like titles that really showcase why he quit Google. And that's the dangers of this huge generative AI era we're in. And there's some uh, titles that even say that he uh, is yeah, feeling guilty about pioneering machine learning and artificial yeah. and deep learning, actually. So I would r- like to go a bit into that. What do you think? Have you heard about it, Menno? Yeah, of course. I'm on TikTok, so I've, I've, <laughs> see, I've seen him. So uh, Of course. Uh, it was so funny because he said, well, I didn't sign the petition. So there was a petition mm-hmm. of the Future of Life Institute saying we should hold AI in a pause because if we stop, China will go on. So I was a little bit confused uh, about his real motives. Anyhow, I think the signal is relevant. Yes, I do think so. Definitely. Yeah. Well, looking back through all of the episodes we've had in this season, what we've covered, like topics on generative music, generative audio, healthcare, the impact of generative AI in all of these spheres, even coding. Yeah. You can actually see what he's talking about because the impact is so huge. He also is saying that he's kind of scared of this artificial intelligence actually taking over. Mm. But most importantly is that he's really scared of misinformation being spread. He's also mentioning some bad actors, so to say, that are going to spread misinformation and fake news. Definitely. Well, the good part is that we are going to talk about more misinformation in this episode. So <laughs> that's... <a> Perfect. <laughs> so I'm really curious, who are you speaking with this week, Menno? Well, yeah, I'm going to talk with Nina Sheik. She's an expert on generative AI, and specifically the way we can manipulate people with that kind of media. I met Nina, I think, just after her book was launched in August 2020. It was called Deepfakes and the Coming Infocalypse. Well, that sounds scary. And we have long spoken about the risks of synthetic media manipulation. 
I started off with Nina by asking her about some of the recent news stories in the world of AI. So Nina, great to have you on uh, this talk about AI. What other topic could you be talking about? I know, right? It's the most topical question on everyone's <laughs> lips. So well, great to be here with you, Menno. Exactly. And certainly on your lips, I would say. So are we experiencing the, the frenzy of AI? So, there's so much crazy things going on. Any examples could do, but maybe we should start by talking about Italy that has just banned ChatGPT. What do you, what do you make of that? Well, I think that inevitably, when you release the most popular application of all time, which is what ChatGPT is, it reached a million users within five days and a hundred million users between 60 days and two months time, then regulators are going to start to take a little bit of a closer look at you. And this is indeed what has happened with the case of ChatGPT. Uh, and interestingly, it's not only the Italian Data Protection Office, which has temporarily banned ChatGPT, also raised questions about its training data, but a lot of other European kind of data protection agencies are now looking at ChatGPT. And to me, this just raises a bigger trend, a bigger macro theme, which is that as these technologies, these generative AI and AI technologies, which are just so exponential and which will have such a profound impact on society, start to be adopted at this breakneck speed, all these questions about how is this going to be applied? What does it mean for society? What are the limits, the safety and ethics? Those are the questions that are going to be asked next. And regulators are taking a closer look. So it doesn't come as a surprise that you, what you're saying. Uh, so the U.S. Commerce Department just announced that it's looking to establish rules to regulate AI. I'm quoting this piece uh, saying, in the same way, that financial audits create a trust and accuracy of financial statements for business. Accountability mechanisms for AI can also help us to assure that an AI system is trustworthy. Well, doesn't come as a surprise, does it? It doesn't come as a surprise because indeed over the years as we've been talking about artificial intelligence and generative AI and indeed its profound kind of impact on not only kind of the way we live, the way we work, even its ability to have a major impact on the way that we think, the question of trust and the question of building quote unquote safer models has always been one of the prime considerations, right? It's good that regulators are starting to take a look at questions of ethics, accountability, and trust in these AI systems. But I think it's one thing saying that we want to build systems to do this and quite another to actually be able to do so in an effective way. Because yep. when you talk about the coming kind of AI revolution, it's application and the speed at which I think it's going to be rolled out and adopted is just so vast that it isn't that there is a one-size-fit-all model that you can apply and say, oh, this is how we're going to make AI systems safe. You have to look at every single use case, different industries, different approaches. So it's going to take a lot of work. But yeah, I mean, the approach is correct. You have to start thinking about it. That's for sure. Would it then make sense, like the Future of Life Institute was suggesting, to take a break? So we just need some more time to know what we can do, actually? So the 
AI moratorium letter organized by the Future of Life Institute, signed by luminaries from, you know, Steve Wozniak to Elon Musk, got a lot of attention. I personally have some issues with the letter, not least because in the letter, they tend to focus on kind of the nuclear scenario or the AGI scenario, the moment where robots take over the world and, you know, AI is no longer within the control of humans. And I don't think that is actually the near to medium term challenge. I think that these systems and as they're unfolding right now are still very much in the control of humans and companies and we absolutely have agency. So by focusing on these hypothetical existential risks, which are, of course, possible. We're taking our eye off the ball because I think the questions we need to ask now are much more about who controls these systems, to what end, and um, who has access to them. One thing the letter did do is that it was a brilliant work of PR. So if the intention of the letter was to raise this topic to the level where everybody's debating about it, I mean, it certainly achieved that. And I think that it is something that everybody needs to debate because of the profound impacts on society. Very early on, you and I have discussed that the lines between what's parody, what's disinformation, what's authentic, what's synthetic, you know, these are the potential existential questions that need to be addressed. How do you determine what you can trust Mm. if we exist in an ecosystem where all digital information can be generated by AI. There were lots of images making the rounds a few weeks ago illustrating President Donald Trump being arrested, you know, all AI generated, and it was just before the week before his arraignment. Loads of people weren't fooled by that, and I think the guy that created it was like open that, you know, these were made with mid-journey. But then a few days later, you had images of the Pope dressed in a Balenciaga puffer jacket, which fooled everyone. So ultimately, the question here comes down to information integrity and how do we ensure trust in digital content at a time when any medium of digital information, whether it's audio, video, imagery, or text can be generated with artificial intelligence, Um, And also at a time when it becomes increasingly easy for anyone to decry the authenticity of something. So to say, oh, you know, that video of that human rights abuse, that's not real. That's AI generated. It's fake. So ultimately, the question here is about information integrity and digital trust. Nina was talking about some of those more scary disinformation uses of AI. But Tia, have you heard about this new thing called... Swatting or swatting as a service. Oh, swatting as a service. Hmm. That's uh, I heard of swatting, but I didn't know they provided it as a service now. <laughs> but, uh, can you explain uh, what swatting is for the listeners? Of course. Uh, first, it's really not that funny. It's a criminal harassment tactic. It's used to deceive an emergency service into sending a police or emergency service response team to another person's address. So you can act as someone, say that you committed a crime, and then they would send a SWAT team to arrest you. And it's really, really disturbing. I think it's clear by your explanation, but I think it's more, even more clear if we listen to an example. Shall we? Yes, definitely. Hello. Hello. I just committed a crime and I want to confess. You did a crime and you want to confess? I placed explosives in a local school. Okay, what local school did you put the explosives in? 
Hempstead High School. Why would you do that? I will not tell you. Goodbye. Okay, sir. So, Tia, what do you make of the, you know, the quality of the thing? It's actually very sophisticated. Like, you cannot tell it's not a real person. So this is disinformation 3.0, I would say. Absolutely. It's really dangerous. It's, um, again, very disturbing. The entire idea of it, and especially using generated voice to even push this sort of disinformation further. Yeah. Now, I have a simple question for you. How do we stop this? Ooh. Yes, we already talked about this, I think, in our previous episode with the watermarking or actually putting uh, cryptic signs or uh, symbols, something like that, in the generated media to make sure that we stop it, that it's not used. But does it really work in this case? I don't have a good answer for you, Mano, unfortunately. No, don't worry. Even the godfather of AI, Jeffrey Hinton, (laughs) that we talked about, he doesn't have the answer. But maybe Tia... Just ban the whole thing, like Italy did for a while. Uh, they paused it, and uh, so why shouldn't we? Why? What's the excuse? Why shouldn't we put this all to a halt? Putting a research on hold, especially on something that's so, like bleeding edge and so innovative, mm. would really hurt it. And again, even putting it on hold and banning it globally, let's say, won't mm-hmm. work. It simply won't work. Every country has a different uh, regulation, legislation, and uh, Some countries would just continue working on it and just it's not realistic. But what we can work on is definitely, as you already mentioned, Mano, raise awareness, make sure that people that are working on developing these models and deploying them know the dangers of them. And furthermore, countries and organizations have a big responsibility of creating regulations that will control uh, the use of these models, responsible and trusted use of these models. Well, my opinion is a little bit more radical. I do think we should put it over hold and ban the whole thing and figure out what to do with regulations first, because I think it's going too far. But still, mm. we already spoke about it in our coding episode. Like you as a yep. corporation can say, oh, you cannot use a codex, but coders are going to use it. So you can't really have an oversight on everything. But speaking of the episode that we made about coding, Tia, next, I wanted to recap this series and getting some updates from Nina on the things that we have covered before. So this is also an episode, Nina, about uh, looking back at all uh, these talks that we had on AI. And we talked about, in previous episodes, about health, about coding, computer coding, pop culture, um, music. So what do you make of the position of AI in health? What have you seen recently? Or what is your opinion about the role of AI specifically in the health? Well, it's really fascinating because obviously I think that generative AI is going to be used to propel forward scientific research, drug discovery, designing of drugs. And you already have a bunch of companies that are trying to do exactly this. And I think billions of dollars are being kind of pumped into the biotech sector. We don't know too much yet specifically about some of the companies and what work it is that they're doing, probably because they're trying to hold their IP close as proprietary information and everybody wants to get there first. But we know that there's immense potential for AI and generative AI to break open a lot of scientific discovery and you know, potentially yeah. find like a cure for cancer, for instance. Or I think broadly speaking, we can interpret 
this layer of artificial intelligence as almost a new infrastructure, not only for all human communication, creativity, but also for all information and knowledge discovery. So it really is this new engine that is going to power forward not only content and information, but potentially also discovery. Yes, new inventions on on the horizon, you're saying. And if you put it in a different context, and when you look at coding, so what's your take on the role that AI will play in this special field of computer coding? I mean, it's utterly transformative. I'm not a computer coder. And in fact, I don't really have a tech background, but I'm you know inspired to talk about exponential technologies because ultimately this is a story about humans and how this is going to impact our society. But when it comes to code generation, that is astonishing for the development of software apps. I mean, it's just going to democratize the whole field. You don't need to be a software developer to develop software. Again, the bigger theme here, using the example of coding, being how generative AI will democratize creation of information and content or code, whatever kind of human creative or intelligent practice it is, by expediting and democratizing the production process. So if you can write code before because you weren't a software developer, you know, you can do it now because AI can help you. Or if you couldn't create images because you weren't a very good artist, well, you can do it if you have the right text prompts and you know how to use mid-journey. It's the same with any kind of human intelligent or creative endeavor. AI can assist in the production process. Maybe a tough one, uh, last one, tough one on education. Where will this end? How will we learn in the future. Yeah, so I know a lot of the debate obviously around ChatGPT and education or generative AI through the vehicle of ChatGPT has been about, oh, you know, students are cheating on their college essays. How do we know if they've really done the work or if it's AI generated? Again, I think that's the wrong debate to ha- be had because ChatGPT is already being one application of generative AI large language model is already being used by hundreds of millions of people. So to kind of ban it and to say you can't use it, you know, if the kids at school are not allowed to use it, but their parents are using it to generate strategy documents (laughs) or to generate meal plans or to generate travel itineraries, it's just not in line. It's not being realistic about the world your children are going to inherit. So rather than banning it and saying this is something that must not be used in schools, I absolutely think that Teachers need to be having this conversation with their students. And I've seen an example of several college professors in the United States who banned it versus others who are using it as an opportunity to get their students to learn about this technology and the limits of this technology, because there are limits. The second thing, however, that I'm really interested in, this is the first point is more of a philosophical approach to education itself. But the second thing that I'm really interested in is to use generative tools as an actual teaching aid. So the ability to transform education by using generative AI tools, we've already seen like the very first iterations like chat GPTs, but imagine that evolves to the stage where it's everybody's personal teaching assistant. You know, everybody has a story about a topic they hated at school, probably because 
their teacher didn't gel with them. They couldn't understand it in a way that clicked for them. I mean, for me, that was with maths. You know, I always thought I was terrible at maths, but it's probably because I never had a very good maths teacher. Had I had a chat GPT-like assistant that could explain it to me in a way that I could understand, that was personalized for my learning, that would have been incredibly Hmm. powerful. So I'm really excited, and again, this is just a new and emerging field, about the possibilities to use generative AI technologies as a vehicle of education. Talking about education, what do you make of it? I mean, she was saying, okay, children are going to use it anyhow. They're going to cheat at schools, etc. That's one way of looking at it. What, what, what's your take on education? That's definitely one application of uh, these models. So uh, children can use them, of course, to write essays. That was the first thing that uh, kids and also college kids started using ChatGPT for. So yeah, I completely understand that comment. But of course, uh, that is one thing uh, that university professors and professors in general should be aware of, that it's going to happen. And of course, try to detect if someone is just copy-pasting what ChatGPT has written. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, if someone is just straight up using that in and of itself. Uh, But on the other hand, I think uh, this uh, sort of technology can be used to improve education as an aid. Especially if you take a look at uh, maybe some specific types of people that you are teaching and you're not sure how to approach it, how to make them learn better. Maybe they're Mm. visual learners or they like to something overly explained in detail. So you can use these sort of models to help you with that. That's a good example. Yeah, I like that idea. I mean, it's, it's very instrumental just to think about an educational helper. And many people are. In schools, you know, then we call it cheating. <laughs> but how about when you use it yourself in your workplace? It's not called cheating, is it? No. But we are using it. <laughs> so how, how will this play out? It's not called cheating at all. It's called increasing efficiency. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Exactly. See, it's all about the context. Well, uh, I can tell you a couple of stories from Sojiti, how we've been using it in the data science team. Mm -hmm. And this has been going on. I already mentioned it. Are you marketing your own work? (laughs) Of course, I have to a bit, Mm -hmm. just a bit. But since we are reminiscing about other episodes, uh, we're always going back to the coding one, which was really good. I mentioned that one of my colleagues, Cass, he has done a demo for us like two years ago when uh, Codex has uh, come out on the capabilities uh, of using generative AI for coding. And we've been using it in our team, of course, on small use cases and nothing that leaks in uh, private information, of course. We've been using it to increase efficiency in code writing, documentation, etc. So that's a great, great example of how you can increase efficiency and maintainability of your code, which I think a lot of companies can use, definitely. Well, we are, you know, our team, our research team is using it, so I'm using it. I've got a couple of examples, like the new introduction of our real fake book is written by AI. And I had a talk with Thijs, my my colleague at Fint, this morning, and he was talking about, he's using now a prompt that helps him structure his research. And I think a lot of people are figuring out how prompting can be the new helper. So what are we ending with, Mano? Well, Tia, as always, we are ending with the future. So I've asked Nina to come up with some predictions for the future of AI. 
the third part of the conversation of this podcast is always about bright futures and scary nightmares. So how do you how do you see your children being raised by ChatGPT? What will your role be in between the intelligent machine and the mother that also knows stuff? <laughs> um, you know what? I'm excited for my children because I know change can seem very scary and we are entering like this epoch of tremendous exponential tech-led change. So there's going to be a lot of disruption and tumult. But in change also comes, I mean, it sounds a bit cliche to say this, but it's a cliche because it's true. There's a lot of opportunity as well. So as my in my role as a mother, I see my role as helping my children develop the mindset they need to be able to be resilient, to be able to be adaptive, to be able to be emotionally intelligent, and to understand the limits of machines. But I absolutely accept that as they enter their working life where they become adults, like machines will be integrated much more in their lives than they have been so far into ours. So I think that the thing that I need to do is to foster the right mindset, like coming eventually down to adaptability and emotional intelligence and resilience to help them navigate this. Yeah, sure. I'm just thinking, while we are having this conversation, how would you look back at this conversation, let's say in 10 years' time, because this is the current state that we know of, and it's the frenzy. So what could be the situation in 10 years' time? As incredibly prescient, <laughs> I'd be mm. congratulating our younger selves for having kind of seen some of the things that are coming. No, I, I joke. I do think that every day right now, when you try to keep up with the state of AI or generative AI, it's a fool's errand, right? It's overwhelming. It's crazy. There's no way you can keep up with it all and new applications and it can do this. And this company has launched that and this product is coming out. And soon it will be possible to generate 3D universes all with a text prompt. So kind of trying to stay up to date with the pace of the actual technology is already difficult. So who knows where we're going to be in 10 years' time? Uh, the consistent feedback I get from AI researchers who I've been engaging with in this field for the last five, six years is, oh, we didn't think we'd be here by now. We're even astonished at how quickly this is moving. And I know there's been debates about, mm, is, this, is there going to be another AI winter or not? And I think, again, that's the wrong debate to be had because... This technology is here, it's exponential, even if it's not AGI, it's going to have a profound impact on the world. And we already see that happening now. But I think in 10 years time, some of the bigger, profound and more philosophical questions that you and I have always debated about from the very beginning, you know, we were some of the earliest people to start talking about this. Those are going to ring more true than ever, because ultimately this is a story about humanity, and it's a story about an inflection point in our evolution, the point where our integration with machines has become so advanced that it is reshaping not only geopolitical realities, but has even the ability to shape an individual's perception of what it means to be human, right? Based on the information yeah. and the content and the experiences that you choose to engage with. So 
all of those questions about information integrity, the questions about the limits of our perception, and ultimately comes to the the biggest philosophical question of all, you know, what is reality? What does it mean to be human? Uh, what does it mean to be alive? Those are all the questions that are at the heart of this debate, which are going to ring true in 10 years more than ever. You just raised my favorite topic because by using GPT-4, it shows that I'm sort of stupid. I thought I was bright or funny or creative. And now there's something else that is as funny or as creative or as bright, it takes away a part of my identity, basically. Have you had this experience? I mean, So I've had a different experience a little bit, just personally, because um, I too write and produce content and I've been using some of the tools, the production tools, and I'm just frustrated that they're not good. Okay, when is when can I train ChatGPT to write more accurately in my style so I don't have to sit there every Friday morning for four hours to write my newsletter? I just want to mm. give GPT, ChatGPT some prompts and get it to write more effectively in my style so that my you know, my content or my creativity or my output is super powered. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm joking a little bit, but I think ultimately you raise a question, which is, again, a deeply philosophical one. To what degree are these tools going to augment us? And to what degree are they going to automate us? This goes back to my previous question, again, talking about the nature of how ultimately this technology is a question about humans and human society, because these will become the most important political questions of our time, not only because of job automation, but because of how do we want to live, we have an opportunity because I think these technologies are so exponential that they're going to change the frameworks of society itself. So we have an opportunity to examine the frameworks of society and decide what kind of world we want to live in. So, I mean, this is also the time to raise big questions like, is it time for UBI, universal basic income? Is it time for the four-day work week? And again, Diverting attention away from, oh, are the robots here to kill us? I think there's a very important question and debate to be had about who controls these systems and to what end? Because there's no doubt that there's going to be an incredible amount of abundance created by these machines and these systems. So how do we ensure that some of that abundance is distributed through society in a meaningful way? Where it isn't just a few tech companies who own everything, own all the capital, own all the models, and everybody else is just a surf. So I think those are the not only philosophical, but deeply political questions that we need to be asking ourselves and trying to figure out as we navigate the next you know, few years. At this point, I would like to say thank you so much, Nina. Because I think this is a perfect ending. And I think the point that you made about the political side of it and have a, an opportunity to choose what direction we want to take this technology, I think that's a very, very, very important message. Thank you. That's my parting message. We absolutely have agency. We get to decide. So we get to decide, Nina said. Talking about agency and AI, I have serious doubts, Tia. But do you think that normal people really have any agency when it comes to AI? Yeah, I have to actually agree with you, Mano. Imagine. <laughs> 
Finally, this... <laughs> we do agree on something. So what we've seen uh, this couple of days with uh, Jeffrey re- leaving Google is that you actually also have to have responsibility as a person to talk about these uh, bad parts of AI. And when it also comes to humans and making human-centered technology, we need to kind of make a switch. So right now, of course, we have some agency. We get to decide if we are not using ChatGPT, it's not going to live, definitely. So it's going to die down and nothing's going to happen with it, as with every other service and tool. But Kind of right now, what I'm seeing is that it's the people who are creating these tools that have the most agency and they're kind of driving the market themselves. We need to take a step back and actually put the users and and like normal people agency uh, forward a bit more Mm -hmm. than we've been doing in the past few months. It's been a rat race and you already seen it. Altia, this feels so good that you and I agree. (laughs) That's fantastic. So. The design of uh, ChatGPT or other AI models, many of them are based on, you know, selling stuff or yes. getting after your data. It's a, it's all about marketing. It's it's not you know humanity by design. It's uh, for that reason that I do agree with you saying it again that we should step in, and you know we have to get get a say of uh, on on what the basic design principles should be. For instance, you know, when we talked about uh, the AI on Snapchat, that's now in the My AI. So why wouldn't the thing say, if that's your friend, it's ChatGPT as a friend on Snapchat. Hey, Menno, go out and meet some real people, make friends, stop uh, playing with your phone. But it would never say that. No. Because it's not in the interest of the ones who have agency, which is... Snapchat. Exactly. And you said it perfectly. It's because it's profit-driven. Yeah. That's the biggest issue we have. Okay. But then maybe some solutions. So how how do we get to this utopian place that you talk about that we, the people, get more agency? It's, again, kind of taking a step away from that profit-driven mindset. Mm -hmm. Also, democratization of knowledge. This is what generative AI is going to help us with. So we're going to have more and more people creating materials, creating code, creating these models, and kind of like people that are normal people that maybe have not been working in this sphere before that actually can step in and kind of shake up the world of the people that have been that have been educated for it. And I feel like we can learn a lot from people that are outside of our sphere, outside of our bubble. So this is what I'm kind of excited about, just like opening our arms and letting other people in here to create this utopian place. So can I conclude that you are optimistic about this? I am. I I feel like something's shifting and changing. I feel like we are talking about responsible, trusted AI, more and more democratization, and especially we've seen a rise in it over the past couple of years. So I feel like I'm optimistic and I will continue to fight for it at least and my team. So... (laughs) That's good. And it also feels good that we, in the end, do disagree because I'm not optimistic about it. (laughs) But uh, that's our natural state. You know, you have your opinion, I have my opinion. (laughs) Exactly. Agree to disagree. (laughs) Exactly. That's all for today. Thanks so much to you for listening to this whole season. And we hope you have enjoyed it. And a big thank you to Nina and her conversation today, and to Tia, of course, for all her insights across the season as well. 
If you enjoyed this episode and want to let us know, please do get in touch on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find us at Sojeti. And don't forget to subscribe and review Playing With Reality on your favorite podcast app, as it really helps others find our show. Playing With Reality will return soon. We will be back with more episodes about the future of AI, looking at what happens next, now that Pandora's box has been well and truly opened. Do join us again next time on Playing With Reality. Playing With Reality.